0: Thank you, John. Folks, we got a bit of a problem. I don't mean just us here at Christview. I mean God's people in general nowadays. We got a problem. We're a little too comfortable. And I don't mean in these pews. Right, not one person has ever sat in these pews and said, Wow, these are comfortable. Matter of fact, I'm not sure there's ever been any pew ever since the invention of such a thing where someone has said, this is a real treat for my backside. I know, lazy boy does not have a line of church pews. But I'm not talking about that type of comfort. We're just too comfortable with where we're at. We may say this Jesus thing is important. We may claim we want to follow Christ. We may say we want to please our Father in heaven, but it just doesn't seem like it's a real priority for us a lot of the time. We've got too many other options, too much other stuff going on. Oh, yes, I follow God, but got these other things. In the early church, They felt like this was something that they had to deal with right then. They felt like it it was urgent. Paul even had to tell some people in Thessalonica that they could just quit their jobs. They couldn't just quit their jobs and sit around waiting for Jesus to return. I mean, they thought Jesus was coming back soon. And when they said soon, I mean, they went to bed disappointed every night that it wasn't today. We don't have that urgency at any point anymore. I get it. After 2,000 years, we lose that any moment now expectation. You know what it's like if you're waiting on somebody and they say, I'm going to be ready at this time? Well, at that time, you're ready to go. 15 minutes later, you're thinking, okay, I mean, literally, any moment now. If they're an hour late, you start thinking, well, what's on TV? Well, it's going to be a while. Yes, we don't have that any moment now expectation, and that's borne out in our actions. We allow all kinds of things to come between us and serving God. Kids' activities, sporting events, even just sleeping in. We are going to have a difficult time prioritizing the things of heaven. I get it. I mean, there is nothing as comfortable as your bed the moment the alarm goes off on a Sunday morning. I mean, Monday morning comfort's got nothing on Sunday morning comfort. I understand it. I feel you. But sometimes we just can't bring ourselves to make serving God that priority. Can we really say God's number one in our lives when we only serve him when we have nothing else to do? We go into church this Sunday? Well, we kind of want to go to the ball game. What's up next week? Oh, I got this going on. Next week, oh, there's a picnic. Then next thing you know, you haven't been at church in a month and a half. Oh, we finally have a clear Sunday we can go for church. You know, church is the thing that always has to give. It's not that surprising, is it? I mean, sometimes it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of benefit to serving God. Yes, we do what God wants. We neglect our, our we neglect our pleasures. We say, "Well, I'm going to do what what God wants. I'm going to turn turn away from the things of the world." And the Bible says we're going to be blessed, but it seems like those blessings don't quite show up. Those promises of God, they you know, I mean, yes, oh, we're going to be with Him for all eternity, and man, eternity's taken all eternity to get here. It's hazy. It's far off. It's really hard to maintain any measure of urgency over the years. Uh, that, that's why they, they've done studies on this type of thing. The most effective people at reaching non-Christians for Christ, the ones who are truly the most effective, are the ones who have just come to Jesus. Someone who's been a Christian for less than six months is going to be more effective on, on average than somebody who's been, belonged to Christ for 20 years. Any number of reasons for that one, you know, the non-Christian still has a lot of non-Christian friends. But I think a good chunk of that is also that young Christian feels in urgency. They feel it fresh. They feel it new. The old hand is kind of, well, I've served Christ for a long time. There's always tomorrow. just a characteristic of the human condition. Let's be honest. Anybody here still working those New Year's resolutions? March starts on Wednesday, people. Are you still in it? Funny, that's the exact same reaction I got from first service. (laughs) I have a feeling if I drove by the gym, there's going to be a lot more parking spaces than I noticed, you know, six weeks ago. As time goes on, We just not so much lose interest, but we lose something, don't we? It's not just us. You see, at the end of the Old Testament, God's people were complacent. The Jewish people have come back to their homeland. They've been exiled, and as they come back, they found revival. They've put away the idols, they've come, they come back to God, they've, they're, they're paying attention to things and doing what God wants them to do, and time passes and that revival fades. Because as they regathered in their homeland, the prophets said, if you do this, there's going to be blessings, and those blessings, well, they were taking a long time coming. They returned to God, seeking his goodness, but they weren't really sure what they'd found. God had been fulfilling his promises, but the people had started thinking, well, God, what have you done for us lately? Yeah, we're back home, but we're not prosperous. We're not our own nation. We're under the thumb of all these different empires. What's going on, God? Their attitudes start to shift. They start losing interest. And to these complacent people, God sends one more prophet very last book in the Old Testament is the prophet of Malachi. You think, wait a minute, we were in Habakkuk last week and we jump all the way to Malachi. Where'd the rest of them go? Well, we covered those leading up to Christmas because they talk about the Messiah a lot. We've made it to the end of the Old Testament, friends. Prophet of Malachi came to speak to these people who have gotten a little too comfortable A little too complacent. Malachi, as he speaks to the people, he speaks in accusations where God is accusing the people of being unfaithful to the covenant. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, and the people will justify themselves. What do you mean? They object, Your Honor, we object. God says, Oh, you object, then what's all this evidence? And we see these accusations at several points in the book of Malachi. I could easily read the entire book to you. We all got other things to do today. I'm not going to do that to you. So you might say, Phil, you didn't read this passage in Malachi. You keep hearing about this passage. Yeah, I'm not going to cover every passage in Malachi. But here's a couple pictures of these accusations that God is leveling at them. Beginning in verse one, or chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name. But you say, oh, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show favor, says the Lord of hosts? And then you get to chapter 2, verse 10. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. What Malachi is pointing out to them is that the people have been spiritually lazy from top to bottom. I mean, it's not just an issue of the leaders, it's an issue of everybody. And their lack of concern was evidenced in their actions. Right, we know when somebody's just phoning it in when they don't really care anymore, right? right? We all have tasks that we probably do regularly that really aren't at the top of our to-do list. You know, some things we try to keep up on, but some things kind of slip. You know, I've got an Australian shepherd. She likes to shed. I've got to vacuum or else we are covered in dog hair. But I'll admit I am not the most disciplined duster in the world. You know, and it's that way. You know, we all have those areas in life. There's areas in jobs where it just doesn't mean that much to us. And that's kind of how the people were. The priests themselves had started treating the holy things as ho-hum things. And God accuses them, you're profaning my altar. And they're like, God, what are you talking about? He says, you take a look at these sacrifices that are coming in. The Old Testament covenant, when it points out in the law, here's the type of sacrifice you're supposed to bring. If you're bringing a lamb, what type of lamb do you bring? Your best, right? You're supposed to bring one without flaw, without issue. You know, one that is, you know, your, your top-notch lamb. And instead, what the people were doing, they were looking at each other saying, well, I guess I got to bring an offering to the temple. Let me grab this one. Old tripod in good breeding stock. I mean, so he's got half his teeth and one eye. We, we, we're not going to breed him. Let's take him up to the temple. God's not going to know the difference. And the priests who were supposed to be looking over this—they were supposed to look at this thing like, "Are you kidding me? It's got flippers! (laughs) Get it out of here!" You know what's going on with this? Bring this mangy old lamb up here for sacrifice. Get—you know, this this isn't right. And like God's saying through Malachi, you know, if you brought that to your governor as what you're what you owe him. I hope you like jail. But the priests didn't care enough to reject them. They are just like, ah, eh, whatever. The ones who were supposed to be the guardians, who were supposed to set the tone, and set, instead they set an example, lack of care. And that was reflected all throughout society. The people didn't care about God. Their offerings showed how they were just going through the motions. But it wasn't just how they were at church. I mean, yeah, that's a problem. If a people cannot be bothered to worship God well, what kind of testimony does that set? If a people says, well, I can, it just doesn't matter if I live up to this covenant that I have with God. God's not going to care. The people around them, what do you think they're going to say? But on top of that, the lack of care for God is evidenced in in their lack of care for each other. Because the covenant wasn't just about how the people related to God. It was how they treated one another. A lot of times we look at the scriptures and what God says about how we're supposed to be, and we're very heavy on that vertical aspect, us and God. But sometimes we might not pay attention to that horizontal aspect of how we are to treat others. And Malachi points this out. He says, you're not treating each other how you should. And he even uses their marriages as an example. The end of chapter 2, he's saying, look, you're being faithless to the wife of your youth. They mistreat their wives, the ones they are supposed to care for the most. Flesh of my flesh, the one that they have bonded themselves to, they mistreat her. And if they can't treat their wives well, what kind of treatment do you think anybody else gets? If this one who is supposed to be so precious is mistreated. They want God's blessings, but they are not actually committed to him. I mean, sure, everybody wants God's blessings. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker "God bless the whole world, no exceptions"? I don't think I agree with that one. Sure, it'd be nice to say "God bless the whole world." It sounds very inclusive, doesn't it? I don't want to get, murderers to get blessed. I don't want armed robbers getting blessed. I don't want people oppressing other people to get blessed. Because if they get blessed, what's the point? What's the point in doing good if you end up in the same place as the person doing evil? So God is looking at the people and saying, you want all these blessings, but you're not doing what you ought to be doing. You're giving lip service, not actual service. They want an outpouring of blessing without going out of their way for God. They want what I heard it put as once. They want one small helping of God, please. I want just a little bit of God. I want the God who blesses, but not the God who makes demands. I want the God who will give me what I ask for, but not the God who expects me to change. I want God, but just a bit. Please, one small helping of God. So, of course, they weren't seeing blessing. They weren't following God. This shouldn't have been a surprise to them with their history. All throughout their history, they had turned from God time and again. And each time, God withheld his blessing. They should have seen it coming. Okay, they're not chasing Baal right now. but That doesn't mean they're being what God wants them to be. But at the same time, God's not writing them off. He's not looking at them and saying, I've had enough of this. We've been through the whole prophet thing before. We did the exile thing, and you're still not behaving yourselves. Fine, we're going to go see how the Hittites are going to do. Had enough of you. No, instead, God sends this prophet Malachi. The mere existence of a prophet is a sign of grace because it is God trying to reform his people. We might look at it as God's being mean because he's criticizing them. But it's actually God being gracious because he wants them to change. He wants them to be who he wants them, who they need to be. So God sends grace through the prophet Malachi. And this prophet also brings a promise. He says, folks, God's still working in you. You're not who you need to be right now, but if you get there, God's still working through you. He's working his plan. In chapter 4 of Malachi, we find promise. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. God is saying to them, I'm still sending my Messiah. I'm not done with you. You are going to have a role to play. And that role is to bring forth my son. Despite the unfaithfulness of his people, God is still working. And time and again, the people have flaked out, been unfaithful, ignored their covenant, but God never abandoned them. God remains faithful. No matter what we humans do, God remains faithful. Boy, isn't that an encouraging thing? To know that even though we mess up, even though we have bad days, even though we Will have bad years and turn from God. God remains faithful. And so he sends this prophet. Malachi's job is to prepare the people for the coming Christ. And he even mentions Elijah in chapter three, verse or chapter four, verse five. My notes of chapter three, that ain't right. It's chapter four. He says, I'm gonna send Elijah. And Jesus later says, that's John the Baptist, the one who's saying, get ready for the Messiah, he's coming. And verse 6 of chapter 4 is quoted by an angel in Luke 1 as the angel speaks to John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. says, here's what your son's going to do. He says, he'll turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. He is paving the way for the Son of God. Why should the people turn from how they've been? Why should they get serious? Because the Messiah is coming. God is still working through the people. He's, God's not saying, I tried, I restored them, they're sliding again, forget them. He's still working through them. He's still planning to redeem them. And his frustration with his people has resulted in discipline, but never a write-off. All through the years, when they were in the wilderness, when Judah was in exile, and now after the exile, God is still reforming them, working through them. Because parents don't throw their kids to the wolves after they spill their milk at the table, do they? Might be tempting. There's not a whole lot of parents who haven't looked at their kid at one point and say, this is why lions eat their young. But they don't. As my parents have said, you know, if you let them live, eventually they can turn into something useful. Paraphrase of what my dad has said more than once. Despite the temptation, God in his grace wants to reform them, not destroy them. They still have that role to play. They're going to bring forth God's son, and to play that role, they need to be faithful to God. When the Messiah comes, he has to be against the backdrop of a people seeking God. Were they perfect when he came? Of course not. The religious people were a little overly religious, a little self religious. But there was a hunger for the things of the Lord when Jesus was born. God's people had to act like God's people to be serious in their worship, to treat each other well, to take their commitments, their responsibilities seriously. He wants his people to act faithfully, for he is faithful. To be God's people, they have to resemble him. You know, it won't do to say that you're one of God's people if you look nothing like him. Anybody ever tell you, when, you know, if they knew your parents, "Oh, you look just like your mom or just like your dad"? Get a little old sometimes. You see some of the kids. <laughs> well, don't worry. Eventually, you learn that that's not entirely a bad thing. If we're going to be the children of God, we ought to resemble our God. And God is working his gracious plan still unfolding here in Malachi. And we know how this panned out. The Messiah came, Jesus lived, he gave himself for us that we might be the children of God. God kept his promise. He worked through his people. He sent his son because God does not write us off when we falter. You want to know how badly God wants us back? He gave us his son to die that we could be brought back. And he will indeed discipline us to bring, back, bring us back to him. I mean, it's several times in the New Testament, you know, if I paraphrase, you know, the good old Phil paraphrase of the Bible I tell you about, sometimes gra- God will crack us over the head to get it through our thick noggin. It puts it in better terms. The word discipline shows up a lot. Because God wants us to come back to Him. It might seem like God's blessings are few and far between. We might wonder, when is Jesus returning? You know, the end of Revelation, the end of the Bible. Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And we say, man, and it'd be kind of nice if your definition of quick was more like ours, God. Wouldn't it be nice to see an end to the trouble, the despair? the injustice. When will the righteous overcome? It just seems like everywhere you look, the wicked are running rampant and the righteous are running for their lives. But remember, God has kept his promises thus far. He will continue to do so. And in the meantime, it's not enough for us to carry the name of Christ. We need to carry that name Well, And that means prioritizing Him. It means allowing God's Spirit to shape us. It means we put God first. A lot of times, we treat the things of God as though they're an additive to our life. Well, here's my life. I am, you know... Husband, father, you know we'll call ourselves all these things, whatever we are. And we'll even add Christian in their Christ follower as though it's one of many things. Folks, that's not an additive. That ought to be the core around which we build. Everything else is the add-on. Because if you make the Christ follower part the core and everything else is what you add on to it, I guarantee you every other one of those things is going to be better. Because you have prioritized what belongs first. For us to truly be God's children, we need to reflect our Father because He is faithful. We should be faithful to Him. You know, and we're, He's not asking us to put Him first as though it's not something He hadn't done. I mean, God's already shown us how serious He is. He prioritized us in Christ. He bent all of human history to bring forth his son. That's not a little thing. He did everything to redeem us. He gave his son's life for us so we can prioritize him. And we say we want the blessings of God. Well, if we want his blessings, we're going to have to follow him wholeheartedly. Not as a side, not as a side activity, but as a core of who we are. We need, I like Malachi would tell us, the message for them. Man, it's amazing how often the message for them ends up being the message for us, isn't it? You know, things like, it seems like things don't change much. The year changes, the fashions change, our toys change, people is still people. And I think if Malachi were standing here, he would say we need to take our relationship with God seriously. This is a call to renewed commitment. He's calling the Jews to come back to God, to place him as their priority because God is still working through them. And he's calling us to renewed commitment because even though we've been redeemed in Christ, we have this Messiah, God is still working through us. Be serious in your worship. Friends, don't just let it be an afterthought, something you readily skip, something that you only do when you got nothing else to do. Build your life around honoring and following God. And be serious in your relationships because God cares how we treat others. Not just outside the home, but inside the home. Friends, God sees it even there. Gentlemen, the Israelites are being critiqued for this. Let us not be found wanting that wife of yours. She ought to be the one you love and cherish and care for completely and fully. When, when, when it says, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, he wasn't kidding. That means, gentlemen, we need to love our wives completely, truly, faithfully, sacrificially. She ought never to wonder or worry about how much we care. If you're sitting there like, well, why why are you coming in on us like this, Phil? Well, Malachi was doing it to them. I'm passing it along. (laughs) And sometimes, guys, we need that reminder. To hold her a little tighter, love her a little more, care for her that much better. Because those of us who wear that title, husband, gentlemen... How we love and care for our wives is a reflection of how we love and serve our God. You see what I mean when I say we place God at the center and we prioritize him? Everything else comes off of that. That's going to transform how you look at that person. Husband and wives. It will transform how we are at home. Transforms all of our relationships. Because you don't just walk into the home, close the door, and say, Well, now I'm done following God for the day. Oh no, your work's just starting. Why? Because God has already done so much for us. He has redeemed us in Christ. He's given us a destiny of eternal life. Do we see that and remain unmoved? I mean, how hard of a heart does it have to be to see all all of what God has done for us, how he's done everything and what he's promised to give us and then sit there and say, I'm just not going to change. This is who I am. Even with God and his spirit within you pleading, this is how you are, but it's not fully what God wants you to be. Do we still sit there with our arms crossed and that sour expression on our face? Man, that's the real tragedy, wouldn't it? Say, God, you've done all this for me and I know what you want and I'm not going to do it. No, we need to take this relationship seriously. When we do that, it's going to transform all of our other relationships. At home, at work, out elsewhere. And yeah, you're still going to have bad days. You're still going to be like, at the end of, you know, go to bed some nights like, wow, I do not like myself very much today. That's okay. God's not abandoning you. He's saying, yeah, you were kind of rough to deal with. Get a nice night's sleep and a good breakfast. We're trying it again tomorrow. God gives us another chance. And that chance is for us to recognize that we are his children and we need to act like it. Stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. You are truly a wonderful God. Lord, we praise you. Lord, help us to be your children, not just in name, but in truth, fully, completely. Lord, help us to make you our priority so that you can do great things in us. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.